Welcome to Public Health Out Loud, public health for the public. My name is Dr. Philip Chan on behalf of the Rhode Island Department of Health. Today, we are talking about the way the Department of Health uses data to prevent overdoses and saves lives here in the state of Rhode Island. Back in October of this year, the Rhode Island Department of Health enhanced its tracking of non-fatal opioid overdoses throughout the state in order to get alerts out into the community in real time. Our guests today are going to tell us everything we need to know about this new enhanced way of tracking this data and why it's important. Both have extensive public health experience, they're good colleagues, and we all work together here at the Department of Health to help increase harm reduction and overdose prevention strategies. Nathaniel Fuchs is a senior public health epidemiologist in the surveillance of non-fatal opioid overdose data, and Sarah Edwards is a community program lead under the Department of Health's Drug Overdose Prevention Program. Sarah and Nathaniel, thank you both for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Nathaniel, tell me a little bit about yourself and, and what you do at the Department of Health. Yeah, so I'm an epidemiologist with the Substance Use Epidemiology Program. I got my start with public health with Dr. Carney, who you just interviewed, which is great. And I feel like I'm coming full circle here. I came to Rhode Island in 2018 to start my master's and graduated right in the thick of COVID. And so I've been at the Department of Health ever since. And right now I look for spikes in non-fatal opioid overdoses. Which we'll talk about in just a second. But let me ask you this. How do you know Dr. Carney? Did you go to the University of Vermont? I did, yeah. So back in 2013, she taught a course called Controversies in Public Health. And uh, that's where I got my start and in interest in public health. So it's great. Cool. Yep. I had actually done my undergrad in medical school at the University of Vermont. So I spent 10 years in Burlington. So very exciting. Oh, no kidding. Thank you for joining us today. So Sarah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at the Rhode Island Department of Health? Sure. My name is Sarah Edwards. I work at the Rhode Island Department of Health as the Community Outreach Coordinator under the Drug Overdose Prevention Program. In this role, I mostly lead implementation and management of all mobile outreach contracts and budgets, and I coordinate with community partners to increase harm reduction and overdose prevention strategies to high burden areas throughout the state. So it's a lot of targeted mobile outreach and overdose prevention and harm reduction throughout the state is what my focus is. And prior coming to the Department of Health, I was uh, working in the community as a outreach worker myself. So I have experience kind of in both realms now working at the Department of Health as well. And I, I come into this work because I'm a person with lived experience. So all of this really hits home for me and is very personal. And it's work that I'm really passionate about and grateful to be a part of. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing. Thank you for that. So, Nathaniel, let's start with you first. So, looking at the state of Rhode Island on a broad level, what are we seeing in terms of trends of overdoses in the state, fatal overdoses? Tell us kind of where we are. Sure. So, in 2022, Rhode Island lost 436 people due to accidental overdose deaths. Um, which, of course, on average means that we lose more than one person a day to this disease in Rhode Island alone. Yeah. And how about overdoses in general? Are they are they going up? Are they going down, staying stable? How's that looking? Yeah. So unfortunately, right now, we're seeing an unprecedented level of individuals experiencing overdoses and fatal overdoses. So since 2009, the trend, again, unfortunately, has been generally upwards. And um, this year so far, we have 289 people who were confirmed to have experienced a fatal overdose in 2023. And we anticipate that once all the open cases are closed, um, we'll have a similar burden to 2022. So although it looks like we've hit a plateau over the last several years, the number of people we're losing is still staggering. 
And sometimes it's a little bit tough to tell from year to year to see if we really truly have plateaued out. But I think the key message is that we're at an all-time high. Yeah, absolutely. And if people are interested, um, if any of your listeners are interested, we do have a hub site that has the most up-to-date data. Um, so folks are um, welcome to look at the drug overdose surveillance website and get that information right away. Cool. And Sarah, let's go back to you for a second. I think you mentioned you are one of the community outreach folks at the Department of Health. What are you seeing on the ground? What are you seeing in the community? And feel free to share some stories if you have any stories that you can share. Sure. So I'm not currently doing an outreach myself, but I'm working very closely with the folks that are and greatly appreciate that that work that they do because it's number one, crucial, but two, it's an incredibly difficult lift, especially, you know, to Nathaniel's point when we're seeing unprecedented amounts of overdose fatalities. Um, the work itself can be really heavy. And I, I think that's, you know, reflected back into the community because there's a ripple effect when someone experiences a fatal overdose, especially in a state so small like Rhode Island. So I think that with that, there is a lot of pain in the state of Rhode Island when it comes to witnessing or being a part of a community that is experiencing such a high level of overdoses. What I'm being told by our community outreach partners who are out there on the ground every day is that Yes, the overdoses continue to increase and the drug supply remains pretty volatile and unpredictable, which is, you know, one of the contributing factors as to why we're seeing that increase. Um, but we're also kind of in the midst of a housing crisis as well. So a lot of folks are without, you know, those most basic of needs out on the street. So it's a tough situation right now that we're facing in Rhode Island between a lack of housing and increase in overdose fatalities. And I know that community agencies are working really hard collectively to help solve these issues for the common good of the community. So that's that's a lot of what we're seeing right now. But there's a lot of really great, incredible work being done by these organizations. And I really want to highlight that because like I said, they're out there, they see what's going on, and they respond almost instantly to crisis on a regular basis. Um, and we're so grateful to have that partnership with folks like that. So we're able to be informed on what the next best plan of action is to address overdoses. Yes, and a big, I'll just um, highlight that, a big thank you and a shout out to all the community organizations and people in the field working on this. It is obviously a, a huge problem in our state. And Sarah, let me ask one follow-up question here. You sort of touched on this, uh, and we've covered this on this uh, podcast before, but for those who may have missed it, you know, the reason why overdoses are are high, and, and including fatal overdoses, is that because of fentanyl? And why is it that we're seeing so many overdoses at this time? Sure. Great question. I can't say with absolute certainty or definitively what one thing is causing this increase, because I really think it's a culmination of things. I think it's a bunch of compounding factors upon one another that contribute to why overdoses are increased. Some, you know, when looking at social determinants of health, again, I'm referring back to housing and, you know, the most basic of needs to be met when individuals aren't having either their basic needs being met or their mental health isn't doing well, you know, they may turn to a substance to use. Or let's say if someone was in recovery, in abstinence-based recovery, but, you know, the pandemic really showed how much people were struggling during that time. And I've known a lot of folks to pick up using after many years of not due to, you know, mental health struggles, isolation, lack of resources during that time. So that kind of led to an increase as well, I think. But yes, certainly the toxicity of the drug supply is really a big one because the the drug supply is an unregulated market, right? So it's 
there's no controlling it. So it's inherently unpredictable and more so than ever. Because I know for me, like I said, I'm a person with lived experience with substance use. However, this was not what it was like when I was using substances. The, the drug supply has changed quite a bit. And yes, there's since around 2015, we started seeing that introduction, probably even a little bit earlier than that, but the introduction of fentanyl. And from there, it's only increased. And I think it does obviously contribute to the increased amount of overdoses just because of the the potency of fentanyl and such a strong opioid analog. And we're seeing fentanyl in virtually anything outside of a prescription that has fentanyl in it. So like opioid-based substances like Perks, Oxys, Vicodin, heroin are most likely going to have fentanyl in them. But it's also important to note that even non-opioid substances can also contain fentanyl. So things like stimulant-based substances like cocaine or meth and other pills that are sold as Xanax or MDMA, for example, these two can also have fentanyl in it. And that's a newer thing that happened over the uh, past few years when we started to see fentanyl in other substances that are non-opioids. And that's really problematic because if you have someone who is historically used to using stimulants or non-opioid substances, they're not expecting that opioid to be in their substance. Additionally, they might not have the tolerance for that opioid. So they are at much higher risk for a fatal overdose. So the main takeaway here is that, yeah, the drug supply is unpredictable and it does lead to increases in overdose fatalities. Yeah. And I think one thing that's important to note too, is that sometimes these uh, overdoses and fatalities occur in clusters, right? Because it's because the contamination of the drug supply. And that's one thing that we've noticed over the years. And so I think that brings us actually to Nathaniel, to the new system that the Department of Health just rolled out, which is looking for more of a real-time response to identify upticks in overdoses and fatal overdoses as well, so that more resources can be directed to those communities. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how this new approach, this new system works and and why it's important? Yeah, that's a great point. And um, yeah, right on topic. So for while now we've been tracking uh, non-fatal overdoses with emergency department visits. And we use this information because the fatal data is around six months delayed. And so this is a really good proxy for um, sending outreach to individuals who need it right away. Recently, we just made some big changes to this as of October, as you mentioned. So there are three big takeaways. One is that we've included emergency medical service data into this, which is ambulance runs. And so for the first time between emergency department visits and emergency medical services, we can see the total count of non-fatal overdoses, which is a great improvement and helps us better understand uh, the epidemic scale. Uh, the secondly, as you mentioned, is that we um, are doing it more rapidly. So now we're running it every single day rather than previously when it was weekly. So this allows us to capture things in a much more real-time uh, format and also correspondingly respond faster. The third thing we've done um, is we've added in rates per 100,000 population to this. So now we're looking at the burden over a longer time period, six months by region across the state. And this metric is really good for trying to understand where overdoses are going to happen in the future, particularly fatal overdoses. So it's a little more predictive than what we were doing in the past. And so let me ask you this. So basically, as I understand it, and feel free to correct me, is that this system is sort of synthesizing all this data from emergency rooms, from ambulance runs, as you mentioned, and basically spitting out almost in real time when there starts to be an uptick of overdoses or fatal overdoses in a city or town or zip code, and then notifies the cities, the towns, and people to respond. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's, that's pretty close. So we look at regions. So we split the state up into 11 different regions. 
um, each with several municipalities in it. And once we've identified that there's a spike in overdoses or that there's a increase in uh, the burden in that region, we'll notify community partners. Um, Sarah Edwards is our uh, go-to prevention person and work with them to identify and provide resources. So Sarah, let me go to you now on this. So we notice a specific uptick in a given community, given city or town. Who do you go to and what does the response look like when you see that uptick? Sure. So there's actually something called the levels of response plan for this. So using the ISS or integrated surveillance system that uh, Nathaniel is speaking to, we use that data to inform our levels of response. So in addition to that daily monitoring, we've implemented this tiered approach in which each level really builds off the previous to respond to increases in the local drug overdose activity. And having a plan in place, the purpose is, you know, it allows us to spend more time acting during an actual overdose spike versus planning and prepping and meeting. We're able just to act and react to that increase um, because time is really of the essence. I could break down each level if you'd like, if that's helpful for each response. Well, let me ask you this, Sarah. When we, the Department of Health and community partners respond, what are sort of the broad sort of brushstrokes of a response? How does, what do you even think about doing in terms of getting a handle when there's, when there's this tick up? Like, what are the tools that we use, I guess? So some of the tools we use um, when we're seeing an uptick is number one, we're going to communicate that overdose spike in near real time. So the overdose spike alert is communicated within the 24 hours the spike was identified through the ISS system that Nathaniel was speaking to. And the overdose spike alert is sent out via email to a listserv of over 64,000 individuals. And we are always trying to increase that reach um, because we think this is important information that can be utilized in a really meaningful way. So we try to reach as many people as we can. So once this spike goes out in each spike, it details the increase in overdose activity per region. And in these spikes alerts contain um, important information on local treatment and recovery support services available across the state, as well as resources for free naloxone, safer drug use supplies. And this is sent out to public health and healthcare professionals, first responders, harm reduction organizations, municipal leaders, and Rhode Island residents to alert of that increase and trigger a response. So from there, once that information is sent out, we actually convene with our mobile outreach teams weekly, every Wednesday, to plan a plan of action. But outside of that, we have that weekly standing meeting to gather information, also give information to those who are um, providing mobile outreach, but they're also getting that spike alert in real time. So they don't have to wait until that Wednesday meeting to hear that information and go out and act. They can act accordingly as soon as they get that alert in their inbox. And that's huge because before with the older system, we waited until that meeting to give out that information. Also, when we're seeing an overdose spike, a text message alert will go out to residents of that affected region, also detailing the spike and available resources. So those are some of the things that we do when we first see an overdose spike to get action started uh, right away. And so let's talk about that action a little bit, um, just for folks that may be a little bit less familiar. So we do have some some tools that we can use, things like fentanyl test strips and naloxone. Talk to us about some of the tools on the ground and some of the action things that happen in these communities. Sure. So when mobile outreach teams go out to a region that's experiencing an overdose spike, 
there's a few different ways or different strategies that they use to reach vulnerable populations. And it, it all depends really on the community that they're providing services in, because although Rhode Island's small, and it might all seem like the same, each community varies so greatly. And so does their need or the modality of outreach might change based on the region as well. Because if it's a more rural region, that means sometimes standard boots on the ground outreach isn't as effective because there's not as many people out congregating in public spaces. So mobile outreach teams really adapt the way they provide services based on the need, based on the community. So when they're getting out to that community that has had that overdose spike, they are immediately going into that region, providing naloxone and how to use naloxone. They are handing out fentanyl test strips, safer smoking supplies, wound care supplies now is a a newer addition to um, some of the services that mobile outreach programs are providing because we've seen a major increase in wounds out on the street due to xylazine actually. And so they're getting out there and providing the most crucial harm reduction tools to folks, but also they're providing basic needs services to individuals, things like the most basic necessities like food, sleeping bags, tents for those who are outside, getting people connected to housing resources if they need that, or treatment, inpatient, outpatient treatment, uh, residential treatment, recovery housing. It's a holistic approach when going out into these communities. And the goal is to, of course, reduce overdoses but get down to some of that root cause of why are these happening? What can we do to stop the overdoses and what services can be beneficial to those that they're serving? And um, they do a really great job at that. And a lot of the outreach teams are really well-versed in the areas that they are serving. So they typically know where those hotspots lie. However, we also do go over heat maps with the mobile outreach organizations, which show where the highest concentration of overdoses are happening within a region, so they know where to best invest their efforts and time. And Nathaniel, let me ask you this. I think when some people think about drug use, substance use, sometimes there's this perception that it, you know, it's an issue for major urban centers. And obviously in Rhode Island, Providence is a major urban center. When we look at heat maps or hotspots or um, where these alerts sometimes go out, is this a problem that's just centered like in Providence or are we seeing spikes in rural Rhode Island? Tell us a little bit about just what we see from a, a month-to-month basis and based on your experience looking at some of these spikes. Yeah, that's a great question. And so, well, Providence is certainly a hot spot if you look statewide. Um, every single municipality in Rhode Island has lost someone to a fatal overdose. And we do see that there are um, spikes outside of Providence, obviously. And we've sent out rural alerts across the state. Um, again, there are 11 regions, and we've seen a lot of those regions have different spikes. Um, when we focus on burden for overdose, um, really, we do look at some of those major city centers like Providence and Woonsocket, for example. Um, but of course, the whole state's been impacted. And is it something for these alerts, uh, these spike alerts, is it something that the average person in Rhode Island can get a notification of? Is Can they sign up or is this meant just for kind of cities and towns? Yeah, absolutely. We really encourage people to get um, involved and get participating. And so if you go to our hub site again, um, you can sign up right there for overdose spike alerts. And it's a great way to get information. Wonderful. Thank you for that. And Sarah, let me ask you this also for sort of the average person listening out there in the community. Is there anything they can do to be prepared? Is it simply enough being aware that overdoses are happening? Is there anything that they can do themselves if they're wondering how to get involved in this? Yeah, absolutely. That is always my main thing I'm always promoting is that anybody can get involved in this work. 
no matter how little or big, it really does take a whole community and all hands on deck. So anyone can get involved. Like I said, small or big, it all has a big impact. But folks, as Nathaniel mentioned on our data hub site, you could find the link to sign up to receive those alerts so you know when your community is most impacted. And you could share that information with people you think may be interested or might need that information. You can also equip yourselves by getting naloxone and learning the signs of an overdose. You can order free naloxone and connect with safer drug use resources and practices and education on preventoverdoseri.org. There's a lot of great information there for folks to go and peruse that website and learn a lot more about some of the work that's already being done in Rhode Island, but also how you can get connected. And I always recommend that if you're interested in this work or you just would like to learn more or get connected to people that are doing this work, you can always attend a Governor's Overdose Task Force meeting and get more involved and hear more about what's happening in Rhode Island and what you can do to help. But one of the most basic things that people can do to get involved is to have really honest and open conversations with family members, loved ones, friends, community members, people that you know might be struggling. And if you know about this information now, you could share it with those you know might who might need it because you never know who might be struggling kind of in those shadows. And it's really simple just to you know check in on people and get connected to these resources. We have so much available in Rhode Island and we're really blessed to have so many experts in this field. So there's, again, there's so many ways you can get involved. And I'll just add too that I started carrying around naloxone myself in the last year, everywhere I go essentially. So uh, just to remind us all, naloxone is a medication which uh, is safe and effectively reverses an opioid overdose. And it's available for free in the state of Rhode Island. So people can either go to Overdose RI or they can actually get it prescribed by a physician with or without prescription. They can also buy over-the-counter at pharmacies. So lots of ways to get free naloxone here in the state of Rhode Island. So we are winding down on time. Let's go to Nathaniel. What are your final thoughts uh, for our listeners? Yeah, just to say that substance use disorder is a disease like any other. And in public health, we're taught to focus on the social determinants of health, those kind of underlying factors. And the faster we do that, uh, the faster we can get this epidemic to finish. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you both so much for joining us. Nathaniel Fuchs and Sarah Edwards, thank you both. Super appreciated. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much. So again, for our listeners interested in learning more about overdose data in their communities, please do visit health.ri.gov forward slash data forward slash drug overdoses. And that's all one word. For information about other efforts to prevent overdoses in Rhode Island, available resources, and how you can get involved, visit preventoverdose, all one word, .ri.org. And in closing, I do want to thank Erica Collins, our executive producer, and Carol Stone, our technical director. And a big thank you again to our guests, Nathaniel Fuchs and Sarah Edwards, for sharing this life-saving information with us today. I am Dr. Philip Chan, signing off on behalf of the Rhode Island Department of Health. Thank you all and be well.